just because it's a good idea doesn't mean um, you should do it. And I think there's also just some pride where it's like, cannot fail, cannot fail. It's okay to abandon something and say, like, it didn't work. Hello and welcome back to another episode of InCheck with Fintech by PCN, where we interview CEOs, founders, and executives from the fintech space about their personal experiences, their companies, market trends, industry insights, and more. Today, we have the pleasure to be joined by Katie Palasar, who is an investor, thought leader in early stage company building and investing, venture studios, and the female founder investment ecosystem. Currently, she is a partner at Athemus where she also serves as head of Venture Studio and leads the Female Innovators Lab Fund, investing in early stage female founders in fintech. Since launching the fund at the end of 2019, Katie has led its global expansion at AUM Growth with backing by Barclays, Aviva, Visa, and BMO, and now investing across North America, UK, and Europe. Enjoy listening. Cool, Katie. Yeah, welcome to InCheck with Fintech, first of all. Um, I'm honored because you are a pretty well recognized expert in the field. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just doing a list from top to bottom. I mean, you're American banker's most influential woman in fintech in 2023. Um, you were awarded the 99 U General Electric Emerging Innovators Award, Drexel University Alumni Educator of the Year Award, Smart CEO, CEO's Voltage Award. This goes on and on and on. Is that a, a goal that you had or how does one get so many awards? Well, definitely wasn't um, a goal. Uh, I mean, I guess just to jump right into it, because it's very related uh, to that question is, you know, I often share, I would say, you know, in my early even 20s, I didn't really even know that venture was an opportunity no, uh, and that tech was even an opportunity. Um, not until I would say um, about 12 years ago was the first time I met um the uh, a female tech CEO. And when I met that person, it really just kind of opened up a whole new world in my mind of like what is possible. And I think that's what I've become really passionate about is, you know, I often say you cannot be what you cannot see. And as soon as, you know, that, uh, you know, kind of that vision in front of me, I realized, oh, this is something that you know you don't necessarily have to follow this traditional path and have this degree necessarily to kind of dive into this world and explore this world. And so just in working in different kind of sectors within tech and working operationally in early stage companies as these opportunities came up um just really kind of dove in head first that's that's my personality of like either go what what's the saying uh go big or go home. And I have had a lot of fun and just feel very fortunate um, o- over the past years. Right. Yeah, because I read an interview um, somewhere that you are a first generation college graduate um, yeah. with a town that has a very high poverty rate. Yes, yes. So I grew up in central Pennsylvania and just kind of for like a geographic marker, if you're familiar with Penn State University, grew up about 40 minutes outside of Penn State University. Very rural. I would say the closest city is about almost three hours away, which is Pittsburgh. And then you have Philadelphia on the other side. And I we're, we're just, uh, you know, it was it was interesting because, again, kind of going back to that point, you know, more traditional like blue collar jobs um, and just really not seeing 
people and especially women in in roles like that I've been exposed to over the past years, right? And so I think that <clears throat> while it shaped a lot of my upbringing because it was always a drive to be like, just to be completely honest, I think that's what's so great about these conversations is like to to get out of of that town. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm also just like very fortunate in that experience because it was so driving of like, what else is out there? What are the opportunities? Um, I was raised um, by a single mom. And so I think that also was ingrained in me around financial independence as a woman and having career opportunities um, that, you know, you know, or education that could be something that you could count on as your own. And it's really interesting. You know, I, I wasn't like, oh, I'm in, you know, grade school or high school thinking of of these things. But I realize I look back over my career and I'm like, oh, that was like a core driver for me. If, as we look at like working in tech, starting my own business and then driving capital to female founders and investing businesses that along with that thesis. And so it's really just, you know, interesting as you kind of, I think we've all had those experiences. You look back in your life over the past 25 years and you're like, oh, that's how I ended up here. Right. That was the driver. That sounds so familiar. Yeah. But you make it seem as if you went from uh, Penn State University straight into becoming a tech founder. But I think you started as an educator, no? Yeah. No, I actually, I'm going to probably maybe blow your mind a bit more. So um, I... Um, like my kind of what I say is like my ticket to education and scholarship was actually in the field of dance. So I went to, you know, as one would in, in mm-hmm. BC, of course, uh, <laughs> I went to a performing arts conservatory on scholarship. And that was also kind of a critical moment because, you know, there really wasn't, um, you know, I, I was kind of on, I don't want to say on my own, but there weren't really a lot of opportunities of how we're going to pay for university. And then the United States, right, it's, there's really not any opportunities for it to be uh, paid for other than, than yourself. There is financial aid, right? But when I got this opportunity for scholarship, I had so many different um, interest areas and I was always very like academic and entrepreneurial. Again, looking back, didn't realize it at the time, but this was just a great opportunity as well because there was a scholarship, right? And so I actually finished that degree in three years. And really also another kind of critical moment was, and not necessarily something that might register um, in the European market, but I needed health insurance. Mm. Uh, And I realized that if I went back to school, I finished my degree in three years, I could go back on my mother's health insurance. (laughs) Um, And so I was like, oh, I'm going to kind of look in the field of like education and arts. And so I went and got my master's degree in education. But here's where things start to connect. Technology was a big component of it. And educational technology was um, a big focus area for mine in getting that degree. Uh, And it's I look back when I say educational technology, I remember one of the, the assignments was um, what they called a web quest and you would build lessons for students. And it was really just like a static web page. And then it just listed like all the tasks that they were to do that day and with like different clip art. (laughs) But at the time it was like, 
well, we're going to get online and like get all our activities. Um, but so I just saw so many opportunities there. Right. And so I went on and was teaching in the New York City public schools. I taught um, for uh, in one of the largest urban um, uh, housing environments in New York City. Um, and then I went and taught on the flip side in Southeast United States to one of the largest gated communities. And so again, kind of seeing those disparities um, in the system who had access to tech, who didn't have access to tech. And then from there, went and worked with Johns Hopkins University in their online learning department. Again, tech becoming a theme. And it was just the convergence of those experiences where I realized there was a data business um, focused on content and educational technology in, in uh, as an opportunity, right? And again, I think it's another really good example that I keep seeing as a theme and just encourage people to reflect on sometimes is you don't realize again of like, oh, where was this business idea born? It was just like this this gray matter that all started to come together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was 2012 when you founded Unbound Concepts. Yeah, right? that was 2012. Um, had never raised investment. I mm -hmm. raised some early stage investment. There was a great um, op, uh, uh, funding, excuse me, opportunity in the city of Baltimore, um, which gave you $25,000 at the time. Um, and from there, that, that, it's just so critical that early money, right? It was really a concept. Um, and that $25,000 helped us build out the product. Um, and then we exited that business in 2017. And that's where kind of the FinTech angle starts to come in because the acquiring company um, for um, our business was uh, kind of platform as a service and had different data components to it. And so really looking at kind of different taxonomies, building different products. I worked in the solutioning side. So working hand in hand with clients um, around different data platforms within the company and how they could leverage them. And obviously no surprise, but one of the most popular and needed solutions was re really around the regulatory compliance, you know, financial data, right? So it was tangential in some ways, but obviously saw like, oh, like it was just such a more slam dunk conversation. Um, and that's kind of what led me into the fintech world and was also working with my COO at the time um, as I left that company. And he was starting a business with retired athletes, um, helping them on their business build outs, some of their early stage investments and partnerships. So again, another theme we keep talking about today, but it was like ding, 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 like, wow. Like, I really like that working with companies from the ground up, back of the napkin. I used to joke like, am I employable because I love like zero to one? And that's not necessarily <laughs> where, you know, there's just tons of opportunities. And so I share all of this so detailed because that's what led me to Female Innovators Lab Fund. And I was like, wow, right? Working with early stage companies, FinTech, zero to one, coming in, being able to set up the fund, what the lab looked like. And so I think when you look at it on paper, 
it's like, wait, how, you know, from, from dance to here. But as I look at the different milestones for me, it's just so fascinating of how they connected at different points and then evolved to where they are today. Yeah, because if you look at those steps individually, some might say you took quite some risk at the time, right? You put yourself out there. <laughs> did that feel like that at the time or did it feel like because everything came together, just felt that the stars aligned? I don't know. How was that at the time? For example, starting your own company with 25 grand, I'm sure, uh, caused uh, a lot of stress, especially in the beginning to uh, make sure you can make payments, make wage payments. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, still to this day, being... Uh, a founder, just the, I have so much empathy um, of just the stress that founders are carrying every day. And it's almost like you can't win, right? If it's, you know, if it's, oh, we need to launch this product, then you launch it. It's like, okay, we need to make money now. Okay, we need to grow, right? It's always that like pressurized um, environment. But it's also where a lot of people thrive. And, you know, speaking of the risk, I think that kind of goes back to my upbringing. Like in some ways, I didn't really have anything to lose in the beginning. Uh, <laughs> it was like, let's let's try this. Um, you know, I wasn't even it wasn't like I was watching previous um, mentors that like had these traditional paths. There was almost like some you know, I think some blissfulness in the naivete. I look back so many times of just how naive. And I think you need a little bit of that as a founder. You need realism and you need some, you know, feeling of, okay, this is a moonshot, but let's go for it. And just even in my own business, right? I think, um, and I don't encourage founders necessarily to do this. Like I sold my car, I took on credit card debt, um, and fortunately, you know, it did work out, but there were so many times where it was just like very black and white of what, what could happen. You really betted on yourself basically by taking those actions. Yes, yes, definitely. And I think also too of, you know, as you start to build that network around you, and I think that's just something that's so important is you get to a point and this is where I like also encourage founders of like you, it doesn't all need to be on you. Um, like who, who are your people around you that you can have these conversations and say, we're really stressed out. Like this is, there's the business side of things. And then there's like the personal of how that affects you, your health, you know, um, just your life, family, friendships. And so again, taking those experiences that I had, something that we provide for our founders within Female Innovators Lab, and then um, also encourage um, just generally is working with a coach. Um, And so again, I share this because it's just like always trying to take these experiences and what I learned from and kind of how can I give back and, and use what we're, really some mistakes I made or horrible times um, for for positive with, with founders. You, you mentioned at the beginning that uh, probably around the time you fired your company, you met your first female tech CEO, right? Did she give you advice or inspire you in any way to um, start your own company or what, what, what was that meeting like? Yeah. What was that first uh, Yeah, so like? yeah, I definitely want to give a shout out to Julie Lenzer. Um, so... <laughs> You know, so there's a couple of things, right? It wasn't, she was raised in Texas by a single mother. Um, 
Also, she, you know, didn't have this traditional, like, I'll just be honest. Like, I was like, oh, well, like, you have to have an MBA or you have to have this degree, this specific degree. And she really opened my mind of what was possible. I was at a dinner and she stood up. uh, It was like a networking dinner. um, And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next in my career. And it was for like, um, uh, women early in their career that were exploring new opportunities. And when she stood up and gave her background, like I can still see the room and remember it to this day. Like my mind was blown um, when when she told a little bit of her story and she had a business in uh, the tech spaces that related to manufacturing. And she had started a program, um, talk about coming full circle, that was called Activate. And this was probably about 12... 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was for um, women that were looking to launch some type of technology business or bring some type of technology into their current business. And now we know just because of the internet and social media and how much the tech scene has just blown up, it's like, oh, okay, there, there's, which is great. There's tons of different programs and initiatives like this. But truly at this time, it was you know, there really wasn't a lot for this. And so then I was, you know, meeting regularly. We were in this program with other like-minded women that, you know, were in so many different sectors, so many different fields, uh, you know, maybe had a product or were thinking of starting. And she just became a mentor and advisor. Um, She ended up investing in the business. And from there, like, I just don't think if I, if I just didn't have that program, there, there there's no way that I would have continued to have the opportunity to have today. And so that's why also like Female Innovators Lab Fund is so special um, because it's not a program by any means, but it's a fund and we're deploying real capital into to women that are starting businesses, just like so many of those women 13 years ago. Yeah, we're definitely keen to talk about that a bit more. But before I do, what was the advice you would have wanted to be getting when you started 20 years ago as an entrepreneur, as a female founder? Uh, just because it's a good idea doesn't mean you should do it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> quotes. Yeah. Uh, um, I think, and I think that's where a lot of my lessons learned. Uh, I'm definitely an idea person. Um, I pride myself on being able to execute those ideas, but, it, you know, someone said to me, you know, how, uh, as I was looking at, you know, different kind of paths of where to take the business and, um, you know, how much brain damage is this going to cause? How much stress is this going to cause? How hard is this problem to solve? And not that we shouldn't solve hard problems, but like, what are the pros and cons of that? Just because it's a good idea doesn't mean um, you should do it. And I think there's also just some pride where it's like, cannot fail, cannot fail. It's okay to abandon something and say, like, it didn't work. And I think there were so many times that I just like pushed and pushed and it was clear that that avenue or that direction wasn't the way to go. But in my head, it was like, well, no, that like that admits failure. And now it's just like, you know, move fast, break things. Let's figure out different different ways about approaching um, ideas and problems. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that the whole business is a failure or that time in your career is. Um, and I think what's cool is a lot of people are talking about that now. And, yeah. you know, 
social media has had a big part of that. And it, you know, again, I think when I started my business too, like Instagram was um, like, it was just like sunset pictures, which is, which is great. And I miss those days <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but I just see things now out on social media and I'm like, wow, like that's so awesome. That person's talking about those challenges um, because I could have benefited so much, m- much from that. I think that's failing to your quote, um, because it makes sense, doesn't make it easy to do, right? It's easy to talk about failing and about failure, but actually admitting that you failed, um, I think to me at least is, is hard to do because it's so attached to maybe a decision that you made or something that you're trying to achieve or a vision that you have or a goal that you have, then failing could mean to someone, especially if you do it for the first time, um, that you're giving up on something. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think just so spot on. And as entrepreneurs, it's like, and and founders and early stage, like you, you're just like your chutzpah and your grit is one of the reasons why people work with you or invest in you. So to like show vulnerability there, I think that's always a, a, a tough thing. Um, so, yeah. Do you feel that that obviously because you do so much with female founders, <clears throat> do you see a difference there between female founders and male founders in terms of failing, willing to fail, um, being vulnerable? Uh, so, you know, I often say like I I live in a bubble the other way because mm. I just work with so many phenomenal female founded companies, and I don't really look at it the lens of oh, well, how is this founder as a woman different than a man? Like my mind doesn't even really go there um, anymore. I think I look at it like holistically of just founders in general. Of One of the things that I notice is like when we have conversations, it's a little bit of like, oh my gosh, I'm in this certain situation and you, um, you know, I can tell it's kind of like, you wouldn't believe it. Like this is bad, this is horrible. And what I often say is like, that that's what's also something I've appreciated in being an investor is yes, I've seen some really like tough situations being in the operational world, but as an investor, you get access to so many companies, see so many difficult situations. And sometimes when I just say, oh, we've seen this before. Oh, like, you know, someone quit two weeks in or you need to unfortunately exit someone out already two weeks in like, oh, we've seen that. Like I could list you know, so many different things that have happened in companies that are wild and you would never expect, but like weirdly we, you know, potentially have seen some um, color of that in previous companies or other investors I've talked to. And so I think sometimes just always saying to founders of like, oh yes, like we've seen that before, or I can connect you with someone who has encountered this before. I, I just... I think founders don't necessarily realize that some of these challenges are often very common. But if you're operating often as a solo founder or, you know, in a vacuum focused every day on your business, I can completely understand why it feels like just so central to what's happening just with you and that business. Feels so lonely, right? And I think that's probably back to the female innovators lab, uh, which is uh, massively helpful. Uh, with getting the people together and sharing those experiences so they're not the only ones in the world that experience that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And connecting people that have just had very specific instances. It's one thing I think 
that's where I'm I'm just interested in going going forward and looking like how can we continue to provide support, not to sound too cliche as an investor, but it's like, you know, I think before it was like get together with like-minded founders. And now it's like, oh, someone who was building in this space had this regulatory challenge. Like that's the advantage maybe of getting older and like the network growing is, oh, talk to this person. Like it's so specific to what you have going on. Yeah. But that seems to be a, how do you say, a professional problem, uh, a professional challenge, right? I think you I remember us speaking at uh, Money 2020 um, in Las Vegas, where you spoke about what you guys do is indeed also offer kind of from a personal level supports or talk about stress, support with stress, recognize the stress, um, a burnout or whatever it might be. Um, I think that's super powerful too. Yeah, I think that's definitely powerful. And I appreciate... You know, I I think what's so interesting too about VC and investing is I truly believe that like one profile of investor isn't like the ideal profile of an investor, right? Obviously there are qualities and, um, you know, certain skills and EQ and um, IQ and, and different things that go into it. But I think that there are different things from your investors um, as a founder that you want to have around the table, right? It's that diversity of thought, diversity of experiences. And I think I, you know, again, sometimes maybe for better or for worse, really kind of leading with the thinking in the founder's shoes and as um, an operator is a lens that um, I like to take at times. And then also like completely like take that hat off, put it aside and look at it very like objectively, quantitatively. And so being able to like um, kind of straddle those two worlds, I think is very helpful for founders, right? Because there's the conversations, like you said, around kind of all the personal things and the stress and making payroll and like, let's put this aside for a moment, recognize it. Here's the support. You're, you're working with your coach. Like, let's dig in to this problem objectively, because often what we find is Again, like just very quite tactically, like was working with a founder and it was like, you know, I, you know, this is years ago, but like can't manage it all. Like it's so difficult. Like I'm falling behind. I don't feel that I'm being the leader that I am. And like what we quickly realized is like, let's like, let's dig into the business. Right. And when we were able to put an operations place person in place, things changed with that, with that founder and the stress and how they're feeling. Right. So that's where I talk about like kind of those two hats where we we can have lots of conversations that are coaching related and, um, you know, almost I mean, not to sound too woo woo, but like spiritual related and holistic and wellness. But then through the lens of tactical business advice to get you set up. And I think that's just so important, especially in this market of recognizing the stress that founders are under and how can we help them tactically in the business and some of that stuff will work itself out. Ready for a dynamic explosion of innovation, connections and game-changing insights? Money 2020 Europe, the ultimate convergence of money minds is back to electrify your industry knowledge and turbo change your networking game. 
joined the unstoppable force of 8,000 plus movers, shakers and innovators from more than 2,300 companies spanning banks, fintechs, tech giants, startups, policymakers and more. This is your chance to seize the reins of transformation and redefine the future of finance all under one electrifying roof. Grab your pass now and secure your spot among the visionaries, pioneers and power players. Use code TPCN to save 200 euros on your pass. This is your ticket to unlocking a world of money possibilities. She predominantly or exclusively invests in female founders at the moment, especially through the Female Innovators Lab, right? Yep. Great question. So um, Anthemis Group is um, a global fintech VC. We, as an asset management business, invest all the way through pre-seed, through growth um, in every type of founder, um, US, UK, Europe, with some other geographic areas opportunistically. I serve as a partner at the firm, so I'm interested in connecting with all types of of founders, both uh, you know from from multiple backgrounds um, and genders. But my specific remit and where I spend you know my day to day is focused on female founders in fintech, embedded finance, um, insuretech, and you know have have worked with a myriad of different teams. Um, that have different makeups. So interested in talking to any type of founder and different investors within the firm focus in different areas and connecting founders into those investors. But specifically uh, around female founders and to me, and an obvious question I'm, I'm going to ask you anyway, what attracts you so much in female founders? And why is it important to um, invest in female founders maybe more than we do now? Yeah, I think a lot of people would think you know, and even as I shared, you know, my background and my story that it would be, you know, it's the right thing to do and invest in women and opportunity. And to be honest, this is where that like objective quantitative side comes in is like, I actually see it as a massive untapped market opportunity, um, a financial opportunity, especially as you look at data. Um, and so you look at data, how, you know, uh, um, certain teams perform, um, you know, diversity of makeup of those teams. Um, and specifically also in some of the approach to the problems, right? I think if you have people that are coming from different backgrounds, different skill sets, um, that understand, you know, different markets, such as just women that have been underrepresented in the financial system, in uh, ways as customers, in ways as employees, leaders, I think you know there's a lot of white space for problems to be solved, um, and so you know we just really truly see this as a market opportunity as well, um, because you know at the end of the day we are a venture fund and we're looking to return capital to our LPs. And, you know, that can be like a difficult balance to strike because we can't invest in every, like we approach this as a fund. Like mm -hmm. there's so many phenomenal female founders. I think there's also a um, kind of sometimes a, a um, you know, kind of looking for the word here, like a, a mistaken um, assumption that you know there's only a handful of female founders especially in fintech out there we like we've looked at over a thousand businesses in the pre-seed early stage just getting off the ground female founders in fintech space and we've invested in um 
soon to be 13, right? And so if you look at just kind of coming back to what I said in the beginning and to close this point out, there are so many opportunities out there. Um, and so that's that's something that, um, you know, I, I talk to a lot about with our LPs and our partners is like this, this isn't necessarily about the right thing to do. Like there is a massive market here. I was, to your earlier points, I was going to ask, is the challenge that there's not enough female founders or is the challenge that there's uh, not enough emphasis on female founders? You see what I mean? Yeah. I think I'm going to kind of put a spin on that is like, there's not enough emphasis within investment firms in looking at networks outside of the traditional network. Right. And so I think that starts with of what the makeup of investment firms are and teams are and backgrounds and recruiting, because so many people ask us, how are you finding all these um, female founders? Um, and our firm is majority female, even though we're, again, investing in every type of founder. We're about 40 people, um, female co-founded, female leadership. So I think that also you know, it lends to it, just just like networks in general. Um, and then our other approach is um, this embedded finance approach. And I really look at fintech and our, our team does as well of what are different sectors. And this has really been central to Female Innovators Lab Fund and is what are different sectors where financial services are converging, right? We invested in a business in the sustainability space in the beauty and wellness space, right? Looking at other in the health space as well that have some convergence of financial services. And because we're investing so early, it might not be super evident, you know, in the first six months, but we know where that roadmap is going. And what that does is it brings more women into fintech. It brings more of their networks into fintech that, you know, we speak with, that we access, that they refer founders. And you really just kind of have this really nice virtuous cycle. Um, and so, you know, for me at the end of the day, like really having thoughtful conversations of our teams of like, where are we looking for these companies? Um, and, you know, we love the, you know, I'm not going to say that we're just like this, like, you know, massive outlier. We love the traditional markets. We love SF. We love New York. Right. Um, but we're also looking at like outside of the traditional schools, outside of the traditional uh, like geographies be, as like, well. Potential customers yeah, the or people that would understand to mind this space. For me right? about Again, the I like importance to say, like, of female founders. It's a diversity I'm strategic, aspect, but I'm right? tactical I think because shown there's the idea part and then there's how you the execute. But that diverse so, companies have a you know, higher chance a list of success of five have a better return on investment. So in this industry that somehow work with this problem or this potential solution. It's not this formal pitch. It's, hey, this is, you know, I'm thinking about solving this problem. Problem. I've been exploring this area. Um, what are your thoughts here? Where have you seen um, issues or um, opportunities, right? And then also finding um, another founder in the space and hearing how they got started, right? Um, what did that look like? Um, and I think, you know, the the third thing that I would really look at is, you know, also I think this is something that just people don't talk about is like, if you were to leave and start this business, like what would your personal financial plan be over the next 12 to 18 months? Because, you know, the stress of that, 
I talk to founders every day that, you know, aren't in the fintech space, but someone connected me with that are building in a different industry that I don't invest in. And they're just kind of giving themselves, which I think is helpful to know in their head, like, hey, I'm going to leave my job for this period of time, or I'm going to do freelance work, and this is going to allow me to get to these certain milestones. So it's almost like you're in parallel building like what your financial plan would be for your company, and then how you're going to sustain your personal finances to have yourself in a good headspace to be able to do that. Obviously, everything's not perfect. There's so much risk, you know, but I think just knowing that you've kind of intentionally thought about that once you get to that validation of I want to go do that is is something that I really encourage founders to do. Right. It's January 2024 when we record this. Uh, I would say we just had a pretty turbulent 2023 when it comes to the fintech industry. What are your predictions for 2024 from a fintech point of view whilst I have you here? Yeah, uh, it, it's crazy because I, you know, I would say like data can be like maybe manipulated sounds too nefarious, but like manipulated in certain ways. Like I was scrolling on LinkedIn this morning and I saw that like seed valuations are the highest they've been compared to A and B. And then like tomorrow I'll see that like the the sky is falling. Obviously, you know, I'm uh, I'm not Pollyannish that knowing that we are probably in one of the worst markets for VC. But I think the prediction is, is that like, you know, one, a lot of noise is going away and you can really focus. Um, You know, I was looking at a business earlier today and I think probably uh, two or three years ago would have been like, and it was, was, it's a pretty complex business in some ways with some very kind of niche specialty areas in the banking space. And I think like two or three years ago, it would have been, oh my gosh, hurry up. Like, we just got to make some decisions with some gray areas that we're not necessarily confident with. But then we got off the call and we're like, oh, we're going to call this person in compliance. We're going to call this person that we know that does, um, you know, regulatory consulting. I know a potential client. And so I think with that, that intentionality and thoughtfulness is going to help hopefully put some, um, you know, very authentic dollars into into real companies. I think the second prediction is around M&A. I think we're going to see a lot of M&A. I think we're going to see it early. We're going to see some, um, you know, condensing of certain companies maybe that are both building and around the Series A space. And I, I think also that at these prices and just a bit more reality that, you know, financial institutions and other potential acquires are going to see some opportunities here. Um, And then I think, you know, an area that I'm really interested in is this like CFO um, financial tool stack, right? So I feel like this, maybe this podcast has been stressful people. We've talked a lot about stress in (laughs) in this podcast, but as you look at like these markets of like, what are the stressors for heads of finance and CFOs that are hanging over their head? How can they condense costs? What tools can do this? What tools can give them better visualizations, treasury market? Um, So I think that's a really big, interesting opportunity um, that I'm going to continue to track um, and and I'm interested in businesses in that space. Yeah, I hear that uh, need a CFO stack. I hear and read about that quite a bit, that that's where probably the biggest opportunity is uh, this year in M&A. I think people talk about potentially there's a backlog of M&As that will happen probably uh, this year. So let's see. Um, Thanks, Katie. Last question. Do you any still do anything with 
dance in your daily job? Is it still something, have you learned something there that you use now or is it a hobby still? I don't know. Well, I think it's, it's, you know, a lot of people when they interview, I, I remember I was working um, with a sales team and someone who was a leader in the team said, I always look for athletes because athletes show discipline, um, you know, the accountability, strength, overcoming obstacles, um, disappointments, wins, losses. And I think that dance isn't necessarily always, it's not the first sport you think of when someone says name a sport, right? But it does have all of those elements of it and, uh, and, and creativity as well. So I bring all of that in like day to day um, into my work. Um, and, you know, I'm not, not on Broadway in the evenings by any means, but, you know, did that type of workout this morning before this podcast. So I think you also need some elements of, of joy in your life, I think in this business, and I'm sure you're the same way and in, in all in your role and running this podcast is that like, it can just consume your life. Mm. And actually, I think that's the lesson I've learned over the past two years is, actually having some type of outlet will make you better in the industry that you're pursuing every day, even if it has nothing to do with it. Totally. Yeah, that thing for yourself, that distraction uh, is really important, I find. Yeah. Great, Katie. Thanks very much. Um, it's been uh, yeah, great to have you. It was from a personal, to hear more about your kind of personal story. Um, for our European listeners, I think they can probably show you around in Berlin in April, and I think July or June is going to be Amsterdam, right? For the Financial yes, Times Conference. Yes, if all goes as planned. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Think more time right, in that market and super excited about it. And thank you so much for having me. This was so fun and uh, I, uh, I'm grateful just for to be able to have um, the time to, to share some of these stories. So thank you so much. Great, Katie. Thank you very much. Uh, good luck to share. Awesome. Likewise. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Check with Fintech. If you liked what you heard, rate our podcast on Spotify and follow us to get updated with our latest episodes. Are you looking for some exclusive content? Then don't forget to follow our LinkedIn page, PCN, and check out our website, teampcn.com.